So if you jumped on a 747 Delta Airlines, this is a model, of course, um, if you jumped on that and uh, you took a trip somewhere, you'd probably travel at top speeds anywhere from 590 miles an hour to 600 miles an hour. And so you can probably get from Indiana to Florida, what, about four hours or so, jump on one of these. If you wanted to go to the moon at 600 miles an hour, it would take you about 17 days. You know, so, so settle in, you know, you probably want to do first class for a flight that long. If you wanted to go to Mars, you ready for this? You know, very close planet to the Earth. If you wanted to go to Mars at about 600 miles an hour in one of these, these planes, it would take you about 18,000 days. You really want to settle in for that one. That's about 49 years. So basically, it's a one-way ticket to Mars. <laughs> You're not coming back alive at 600 miles an hour. If you wanted to go to Pluto, remember Pluto? It was in the orbit. It was in the solar system. They kicked it out, and they brought it back in. I think it's in. Is it now? Is it in? It's a dwarf planet or something. If you want to go to Pluto, you ready for this? You want to take a guess at how many years it would take you at 600 miles an hour? That's pretty fast, 600 miles an hour. How long it would take you to get to Pluto? You're going to be wrong, so don't, don't guess. <laughs> 680 years to get to Pluto. And that's just our little, little, bitty, 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 bitty solar system in the universe. I love stuff like that. It fascinates me. Some of you are bored to death already, so I hope he gets more interesting. <laughs> I, I love that idea because it, it just it gives me a picture of how big the universe really is. It takes about, uh, yeah, I won't, I won't bore you any more numbers. I was going to talk about another one, but I'll, I'll skip that. We're in a series right now called Unsearchable. And what we've been saying is that if the universe, last week we said this, if the universe is unsearchable, in other words, if all of us got on our own spaceship, all 7 billion people on the planet, and we searched out the entire universe with our entire lives, we still wouldn't really know much about the universe. That's how huge and how wide and how big and expansive it is. It's incalculable. It's incomprehensible. It's, it's limitless. It's boundless. Well, if the creation is unsearchable, what does that say about the one who created it? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, All things were made by him and all things were made for him. Jesus Christ spoke the universe into existence. He created it. In fact, he holds it all together by his power. And so Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, This to me, this grace or this privilege was given to preach, to proclaim, to tell. That's all this word means right here. You've done it before. You ever been to a really nice restaurant? You had a really good steak and you came back and you told somebody about it? Everybody do that? Or maybe it was a great experience at some other restaurant or something like that or some, some place, some show, some movie you come back and you tell somebody about. If you've ever told somebody about something that was good in your life, you have done this word right here. That's all it means is to, is to tell somebody else about something good in your life. Paul says this. This, is, this grace was given to me to preach the, say it with me, the what? The unsearchable, little, now a little bit more power, a little bit more power. The what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what this whole series is about. Just because we can't know everything about the universe doesn't mean we don't know a few things about it, some pretty spectacular things. And just because we can't know everything about God, because he's unsearchable, doesn't mean we, we don't know a few things about him. And so what we want to do in this series is look at what we know about God, the known parts of Jesus, and then talk about those and present those to you in hopes that you will see God for who he really is and fall deeper and deeper in love with him and want to follow him and give your life over, over to him. Basically, to be ravished by Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. That's the hope 
That's what Paul was hoping when he said, hey, this is, this is a privilege for me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So we looked at some of those last week. We looked at the fact that Jesus brought power into this world. He brought peace into this world. He brought, uh, 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 what was the other one? Uh, power, peace, oh, joy. And then he also brought love into this world. And so if you missed last week, man, go back and check it out. It'll be a real blessing to you. What I want to do to today is talk a little bit more about some of these riches. And I want to start this way. Every single person, in my opinion, <laughs> you, you can judge, every person is looking for the good life. I believe all people are looking for the good life. Nobody wants to live a miserable life. We all want to live the good life. And when you look at our culture today in our world, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but this is just kind of how I see it as I observe our society, the good life or, or those who are well off are those who have a lot of money and they have a lot of power and they have a lot of freedom to go and come where they want to go and come and they can eat wherever they want to eat and they can go on as many vacations as they want to go on and, and they're beautiful people, aren't they? They're attractive. Like those who, are good, those who have the good life, they, they are, they're very, very attractive. At least that's what our culture says. So, the, so we put these people on the covers of magazines and we say, look, this is the person who's living the good life. Look at their body. Right? Look at their life. They have money. They have wealth. They're connected. They know people. They've got all this good stuff. I think the person who captures the good life in our society today, and maybe you'll disagree and uh, maybe you'll agree, is, is Kim Kardashian. In our culture today, she, she captures the good life. You know, she's got it all, right? Um, there's, a, uh, there's actually a photo of Kim I wanted to show you here. This is Kim. If you don't know who she is, that's okay. Um, but uh, there's Kim, and uh, there's some girls taking a photo with Kim. And um, that's actually not Kim. That's actually a wax figure of Kim. Yeah. Did you, some of you girls picked that up because girls have a special detector thing. You can see stuff like that. We guys, we can't, we wouldn't have picked that up, would we guys? We're like, oh, look, she's pretty. But no, that's actually a wax figure of Kim. And um, Kim is famous for, I don't know. <laughs> but I follow her on Twitter and Instagram, so I stay up. No, I don't. I don't. I don't follow her on Twitter. Um, Kim put out a book recently. Have you heard? She beat me to it. I mean, I, you know, some of you know I'm trying to publish a book. I can't figure it out. Anyway, Kim figured it out. Her book, her book is just a, a bunch of uh, selfies. That's all it is. No, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. She, she, put, it, she put it out in May. It sold, it sold about 32,000 copies so far in the United States, 125,000 worldwide. It's in its fourth edition. And I've heard that she's got two new chapters coming out in the next edition of selfies. We're, you know, it's like our culture kind of like sees this woman as uh, the epitome of, of, of the good life and the face and the body and the riches and, and uh, you know, whatever it is. And, and I know some of you are like, no, that's not true, and I don't follow her, and, I, and that's not my system of values. But, our, but you have to admit that our culture, like, loves, loves this stuff, and that's kind of what, what we see as, as important or, or, or what we judge as the good life. Jesus had another opinion. He actually was talking to a couple of people who really valued money. They happened to also be the religious leaders of the day. And this is what Jesus said to them in Luke chapter 16. He said, what the world honors or what this world honors or esteems or holds as important is detestable in the sight of God. In another version of the Bible, the English Standard Version, it says that, uh, that what, what the world honors or esteems highly is an abomination in the sight of God. Whoa, that's some pretty stern words. That's some pretty graphic words. In other words, it's not a sin to have 
a lot of stuff. It's not a sin to be beautiful. It's not, you're not doing anything unethical if you've got a big gigantic house and beautiful cars. It's not that at all. It's not a sin to be well-known and famous and popular. No, 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 no. He's not saying there's anything morally wrong with that stuff. It's just, he just doesn't care about it. God's opinion is, I don't care if you have, have reached the good life according to the world standards. Those thing, I don't value those things. Jesus is saying, I have, a, I have a completely different set of values about what I judge or what I see as, a, as important. In the book of 1 Samuel, there's this great, great little story about how Israel wanted to have a king. And so God finally says, okay, that's fine. I'll give you a king. And so he sends his prophet Samuel to a guy named Jesse's house. Jesse's got all these sons. And Samuel's supposed to find one of the kings from Jesse's sons. And so when Samuel gets to Jesse's house, he looks at the first son. His name is Eliab. You can read the story later. Eliab looks like a king. He's got big shoulders. He's handsome. He's looked tall, dark. You know, he looks like he can lead a nation, right? And Samuel's got it wrong. Listen to what God says to Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, the face, the hair, the muscles, the height, the weight, the whatever, right? But the Lord looks at the, say it with me, heart. God looks at the stuff that you can't see. He looks at what's going on inside of the person, the motives and the thoughts. And, uh, you know, is that person arrogant or prideful? Is that person deceitful or are they honest? The stuff that you can't see. This is what God values. This is what God sees as important. Not whether or not you look good on the outside or have the ability to go on vacations galore or, or buy whatever shoes you want. Wouldn't that be awesome if you just buy whatever shoes you want at any time? See, I'm, I, got, I got issues too, right? So, like, I don't have all this worked out. But sometimes I dream about that. I just wish I could buy all the shoes I, could, I want. God says, I don't care about that stuff. You might value that. Blah, blah, blah. No, what, what matters to me is what's going on inside of the heart. Now, what's ironic, I think, is that we do care about what's going on inside of the heart. We do. How do I know that? How do we, how do we know that in our society? Well, we do, this thing, we do these things called background checks. Have you ever noticed? <laughs> Like at this church, if you want to work in our children's ministry, like we do a background check if you want to work with our kids. Because we want to know that you're not crazy. <laughs> or we're going to kidnap somebody, right? So we do a background check. We do a criminal background check to see what's going on. If you go get a, try to get a job, what do we do? We check your references, right? If you go try to borrow money from a bank, what do they do? They get a what? A, they, they run your credit. They want to see if you can handle it. They want to see your choices. They want to see, you, by the way, your choices are a manifestation of your character with the unseen stuff, right? So we value that stuff. We just don't put people with good hearts on the covers of magazines. We put Kim Kardashian on the front of magazines, Right? Not people who tell the truth and are honest. Like, you're not going to believe this person. This person has incredible integrity. Wow, let's put him on the front cover of whatever magazine. No, it's not going to work that way. But we do value the things in the heart. You know, last week we said that Jesus, when he came, what he brought was a knowledge of the kingdom of God. A knowledge of reality. And, and that reality is the kingdom of God. It's the unseen stuff. That's what Jesus brought with him. And when he brought that with him, he brought the answer to the question of who is well off? Who has the good life? 
in your notes there, this is what I, I want to start by saying. Those who, who are well off or those who have the good life are those who are living in the kingdom of God. Or those who have learned to live in the spiritual, in the unseen realm of God. Those are the people who have the good life. Those are the people who are well off. You know, Jesus proved this one time. Uh, when he was in his teachings, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's this little section, and if you've been in church for a while, you know which section I'm talking about. It's called the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed are you as peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed, blessed, blessed. You with me? Sunday school? Kids? Anybody? Beatitudes? Yes? No? Some of you are totally lost. That's okay. I'm going to fill you in right now. The Beatitudes. Traditionally, the Beatitudes were taught for centuries as conditions to be sought after. Like if I want the blessing of God in my life, then I must, you know, be a peacemaker, or I must be pure in heart, or I must be someone who's poor in spirit. Or, and then we seek after those, those things in order to attain the blessings of God. But that is, that is an incorrect translation of the Beatitudes. That's not what Jesus meant. Let me give you a few examples. Let's look at the, the first one, verse 3. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are basically the bankrupt, the emotional bankrupt, those who have nothing to give. Their their pockets are empty emotionally and spiritually. They've got nothing. Does that sound like a condition to be sought after? Yes or no? No. But the poor in spirit, watch this, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at at the next one, verse 4. Watch this. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, have you ever seen a person really, truly mourn? You ever seen a mother who's lost a child? You, if you want to know what mourning looks like, just especially a young child, just look at a mother who's lost a young child. And you'll see this right here. And it is not pretty. It is not a, a state that we should desire or long for. I, you know what? I just want to, I want to wake up to, I want to mourn today. I want to cry all day long and get nothing done in my life. No, that's, that's ridiculous. But Jesus says, they will be comforted. Let's look at another one. Verse 10, watch this. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Anybody want to sign up? <laughs> Have people just mock you and make fun of you because you took a stand and, 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 and you live for Jesus and, and, and anybody wants some persecution in, in your life? You know, now, our idea of persecution is different than what persecution really is in other countries where people actually die and stuff like that. You know, we get people who talk, talk about us and send emails or, you know, whatever, make fun of us. I guess that's persecution. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound like a desirable state? Does that sound like something I want to wake up and pursue? Not at all. Not at all. Let's look at another one. Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my uh, my account. You know, it's like, uh, do you want someone to just kind of make up stuff about you and lie about you? Tell your boss because they don't like the fact that you have faith. And so now they're going to they're gonna tell lies about you. Anybody want to sign up for that? Does that sound like a, a condition to be sought after? Yes or no? No. These are not conditions to be sought after. If they're not conditions to be sought after in order to incur the blessings of God, then what are they? What is Jesus talking about? Let me break it to you. Ready? Let me break it to you. Jesus is talking and he's explaining that no matter what condition you find yourself in, you are not outside of God's reach. You may be persecuted. You may be in a position where people have lied about you. You may be empty spiritually and emotionally bankrupt, poor in spirit. You may have just lost a loved one, so you're mourning. Your husband may have left you for another woman. 
You may have been fired from your company after 20 years. You may have a teenage boy, teenage girl who hates you. You may hate yourself when you look in the mirror. You may struggle with self-hatred so much that you think about committing suicide. No matter what condition that you are in, you are blessable. That's the message of the Beatitudes. That's the riches of the kingdom. Wherever you are, in whatever situation you're in, God can touch your life. You've been in jail, you're blessable. You're overweight and out of shape, you're blessable. You're not attractive in the face, you're blessable. (laughs) You have no hair and you're bald, (laughs) you're blessable. That's a big one today, right? My dad's bald and my brothers are bald, so it's going to happen. Some of you are going to watch it happen. Some of you are watching it happen. What does that mean to me? Well, our culture values people who have hair on their head. Right? Does that mean I'm outside of God's blessing in my life? Some feel that way. They don't feel attractive, physically attractive. No matter what condition you are in, you are blessable. Here's the way I wrote it in your notes. No human condition. No human condition excludes blessedness. You be, listen, you may be excluded from many things. I think there's a Colts game today. You, you cannot just walk into that stadium and, and stand on the 50-yard line. If you try, they will arrest you, and they will take you away, right? Now, there's some people who can stand at the 50-yard line. Not you. Not you. Am I right? Yes? There, there are restaurants you can't go in because you don't have enough money in your pockets to go in them. Yes or no? There are people that you would love to meet with, but you can't meet with because you don't know the right person to get in to meet with them. There are people that I would love to sit down and have lunch with, other pastors in this country. I can't get to them. I can't get through their assistance. Some of you have experienced that with me. You don't like it. Well, it's probably because you're not screwed up enough or something like that, right? (laughs) Your problems aren't big enough. I'm just kidding. Not really. (laughs) I can't meet with everybody, but I try to. I try to. But anyway, you, you you reach, you get excluded from things. I get excluded from things. We don't have enough money. We don't have the credentials. We don't know the right people to get into the thing, right? What's crazy about the kingdom of God is that there's no exclusions. Poor, rich, attractive, unattractive, educated, not educated, keeper of the law, breaker of the law, cool, uncool, doesn't matter. Jesus says, I came to touch everybody. There's one series of events in the book of Matthew that blows my mind. I love it. I love the book of Matthew. In Matthew 9, I'll take you through them. There's this rich ruler has authority. His daughter has died, and he goes to Jesus. Okay, so it wasn't just the lepers. It wasn't just the poor people that went to Jesus. This guy's the big dog. He goes in. He says, look, my daughter's dead. Jesus, he says, can you heal her? He says, absolutely. On his way to heal the girl, this woman grabs Jesus' robe. She's got this issue of bleeding for 12 years. She, she turns around. He heals her just like that. The blood stops. Gets to the ruler's house, raises the girl from the dead. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> After he leaves the ruler's house, raising, raising that girl from the dead, these two blind guys come up to him and say, hey, we want to see. Give us our sight. He says, boom, done. Heals him. Then this demon-possessed guy comes right on. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. He's got a demon inside him. Jesus casts the demon out. Touching people. Anybody. Rich, poor, sick, not sick. And then in verse 35, this is the summation of of those four stories. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues 
and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Let me pause there for a second. Jesus hasn't even died yet. He has not died and he has not risen from the dead and yet he's proclaiming the gospel, the good news. That must mean that the good news is something more than, guess what? Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the grave three days later so that you could have your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven when you die. Now, traditionally, we've heard that that's the good news. But that couldn't have been what he was saying here because he hadn't died. (laughs) You with me? Yes or no? See, I think that's pretty good stuff. Well, if he wasn't telling people, guess what? I'm about to die, and I'm about to rise from the dead, and the reason I'm doing it is so you can have, say this quick prayer, have your sins washed away, and then spend eternity with me forever and, and live on the clouds somewhere in heaven, maybe on the stars. I don't know. That wasn't what he was saying. Well, if he wasn't talking about his death and resurrection, then what the heck was he proclaiming? You know what he was saying? Whoever you are, whatever have you done, Whatever condition you find yourself in, you can come and live with me right now. Right now. No human condition excludes blessedness. You can be with me. And then he went on to heal every disease and every affliction. Why did he heal everybody's disease and affliction? Because he wanted to validate that whoever, can, whoever wants to come can come and I will touch them. It doesn't matter what, what's going on. It doesn't matter what the sickness is. I'll even, Jesus even got down and he healed the lepers. Now, that, the, the significance of a leper is very important for us. They're the lowest of the lowest of the low. These people were, were excommunicated. They couldn't live with everybody else. In fact, when one of them stumbled into a village by chance, they had to scream out, unclean, unclean. Like, how demoralizing is that? They were cut off from all humanity. And Jesus goes in, and he gets on a knee, and he, and he holds them, and he heals them. What is the message of the, of the miracles of Christ? You know what it is? Anyone can come. There's no human condition on this earth that will exclude you from my presence. Whoa. That is the good news, folks. That is the riches of the kingdom. We can live in God's presence today, right now, not just after we die. Isn't that beautiful? Now, i got to be careful here to balance this out because if I only talk about that side of the beauty of Christ, we'll start to come to God because of what he could do for us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know anybody like that? And then when God doesn't come through for them, they, they quit church. They, they quit church. When things start going wrong in their life, they leave. Well, it wasn't, here's what they say to me, because I'm the pastor. It wasn't working out. Oh, you mean God wasn't doing what you wanted him to do? <laughs> he wasn't blessing you the way you thought he should? He didn't heal your marriage? He didn't do the thing? He didn't, he didn't? Oh, so you came, you, you came for the blessings. Oh, I see. And that's not, that's not, that's not why we come. See, the blessings are not the real treasure in your notes. The blessings are not the real treasure. It's not. We don't come to Jesus for what he can do for us. We come to Jesus because he is the treasure. Jesus said one time, one of my favorite little parables in Matthew 13, oh, if you could memorize this, if you could meditate on this, it'll be beautiful, change your life. Jesus said one time, he said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is, is like this. It's like a man who, who finds a treasure hidden in the field, and he goes and he, and he covers it up and he hides it. And then watch what he does. He leaves, and in his joy, he goes and he sells all of his possessions so he can have the cash to buy that field. Jesus is being dramatic here. 
This isn't a true story. This is a parable. He's saying this guy has found the treasure, and it's worth more than all of his possessions combined, so he sells it all to get the money to buy that field. What is in the field? What is it? What is the treasure? And here's the treasure. It is God himself. It is Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit of God. It is the Trinity that is the treasure. One time at the end of seven, a seven-day uh, festival that the Jewish people would throw, uh, on the seventh day, Jesus stood up and he said this to the crowd in different words. He's saying the same thing. Watch this. Let anyone who is thirsty, not physically, he's talking about the soul. We have a thirsty soul. All of us come into this world. If anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Such provocative language. Whoever believes in me drinks me in, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And then John adds this commentary to explain what Jesus is saying. Because sometimes Jesus says stuff and you're like, huh? You ever feel that way? It's like, what? <laughs> Listen to what John says to explain. By this he meant the living water. By this he meant the spirit, capital S, whom those who believed in him were to receive. You know what he's talking about? Jesus is saying, look, come to me. Put your confidence and trust in me, and here's what's going to happen to your life. The Spirit of God will so fill you up that it'll feel like rivers of living water will flow from your life. Your soul was made for God. The treasure hidden in the field is God himself. Isn't that beautiful? We don't come to God for the blessings. We come to God for God. Your soul was made to live in the kingdom of God. Like a fish is, lives in water or a bird flies through the air, your soul was made to dwell in the kingdom of God. This is the riches. It's the spirit of God. I'm doing my best to explain the most profound truths in the world. The best way to explain it, though, is to, is to hear from somebody who stumbled into the kingdom of God, who drank from the spirit, who put their confidence and trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to this girl's story. Her name is Jessica. You may have heard it before, but she listened to her words carefully because she's describing, don't check out, don't check out. Listen to the words she's describing because this is real. This is reality. Listen to Jessica's story. My life before Christ was, he was non-existent at all. He was never really talked about. Um, I never went to church. Um, it wasn't until that I met my fiance, Zach, um, that he ever really kind of became a part of it, um, but only because he came from a very faith-based background. A lot of things that I experienced was just a lot of feeling of emptiness. Um, I was very angry, very lost, and I tried to fill that void with many different things, none of which were successful. Um, I actually found temporary happiness in shopping, um, so I gained a lot of debt Something was, something was missing, um, and I just couldn't figure out what that was. It wasn't until I had my next two children um, that I had talked with several people and wanted to bring them into a church and give them a foundation and a home away from home. So I met a friend that I had mutual interests in, um, and she actually is attends Emmanuel and she invited me to come and told me it'd be a great place to start my life with Christ and with my kids. Initially I had no intention whatsoever of starting a relationship with Christ for myself. It was all for my children, um, but little did I know 
after that first service, <laughs> it was all about me. <laughs> I came in as a skeptic. I, I never sat through a church service before. Um, and as Danny was talking about the condition of your soul, and he was talking about being hopeless and about being empty, and just the condition of it, it struck me so deeply because he was touching on every emotion that I was feeling. And being able to connect all those dots together and say that maybe this, maybe it is my soul, Maybe, maybe that's what's wrong with me. Um, it, it, I think it was, I had nothing to lose at that point. And I knew that I wanted to give it a shot because it was, it was all or nothing. After I said that, after I said the prayer, I was really scared. I was really scared I wouldn't feel anything. I was really scared that the, the the emptiness and all this wouldn't go away and all this ex this excitement that I had developed over the past two weeks that, that Danny and everyone else had instilled and given me like the excitement um I was scared and then I said it and it was it, I don't know it's just this this weight just lifted off my shoulders as soon as I had finished and literally I walked out the out the doors and I just took in a deep breath of fresh air and I just saw life completely differently and it just amazes me to this day that something that's saying a prayer and accepting Christ can give you such a different outlook in, in such a short period of time like I didn't believe it the stories that I heard in the first two weeks I was like this can't be real this is crazy and then I did it and it happened to me and it's just still so I'm still in awe about it um, before I felt empty and I felt hopeless and I felt sad and after accepting Christ into my life I feel at peace I feel wonderful I am the most at peace I have ever felt in my entire life and I honestly enjoy life um, the biggest change that I have felt is the daily obstacles or struggles that you deal with in life I look at completely differently um, I no longer dwell on them, and I know that God has a bigger plan for me that I don't understand. So I just take those situations with stride and know that God has a better, a better plan to come along for me. I can listen to that over and over and over again because it's, it's a picture. It's describing... What, what I've been trying to talk about and present to you, which is a knowledge of reality about your soul and how your soul was made and what it was made for, who it was made for. What Jessica just said and what I've been saying is the reason that we exist as a church. Why do we have this environment here? What is the purpose of it? It's so that you can hear the truths that we're talking about today. Some of you have never met Jessica because she actually attends the Banta campus. And she goes there. And when she described hearing my voice talk about the soul, when she put her faith in Christ, that was at the corner of Banta and Harding. It didn't happen in this location. See, Jessica's the reason that we went multi-site, to reach people we would have never otherwise reached if we would have just stayed in one location. That's the purpose of our vision, to create environments where people could hear about Jesus Christ and enter into the kingdom. And that's happening. We have another multi-site 
at Franklin, that's a temporary site, and you guys know we've been talking about doing a permanent site there. Why would we do a permanent site in Franklin? Why would we spend a whole bunch of money to do that? Banta was expensive. It's like $4 million. Is it worth it, you think? Is it worth it to have 800 to 1,000 people hearing about the gospel every single week? Yes or no? Yeah. It's absolutely worth it. So we're, we're building a permanent site in Franklin for the same reason we built the permanent site in, at, Perry, uh, at the corner of Banta and Harding, is to invite more and more people into the kingdom of God. And so what I'm going to ask you to do over the next year is to do for others what someone has done for you. See, many of you here have not given financially to either this facility, this was built in 1989, and or the Banta facility, which was built in 2013. You haven't had a chance to because you're new and you're fresh. Well, guess what? You now have a chance to do for others what someone has already done for you. And so that's what this card is all about. Inside your handout today, each one of you received a card. Would you go ahead and grab that really quick? And just kind of hold it up. Hold it in your hand. This is an important piece. If you didn't get one, please get one on the way out. Grab a bulletin. They're actually tucked into the bulletin. And uh, we'll make them available to you next week as well. This is a commitment card that goes for the next 12 months. In one year, we are going to, we need to, raise $2 million. In addition to everything that else that's already been raised in order to build a permanent site in Franklin and not exceed, this is important, you need to listen to this, some business terms here, in, in, order not, in order to not exceed a debt limit that our elders and our senior staff have agreed is the, the sufficient amount. And so we need to raise that $2 million cash to keep things at the same level that they are right now so that we don't put our church in financial, a financial struggle. And so that's what this card is all about. We're trying to raise $2 million in 12 months. So on it, you'll see this. I, my family, commits to give blank amount of dollars between October 1st and October of 2016 and October 1st of 2017. Above and beyond my regular giving... That's important. I'll talk about a little bit more about that next week. Toward our multi-site strategy for a permanent site in Franklin campus. On the back of it, you can see a graph there. A very simple graph that shows where you can jump in, how many families we need to jump in at each level in order to reach that $2 million. Now, here's what's awesome, and I said this last week. If everyone jumped in at the bottom level for $500 above and beyond what you normally give... Uh, that's less than $10 a week or about $10 a week, we would raise the $2 million because we have about 4,000 families or a little, little over 4,000 families that attend our three campuses. And so, uh, of course, there's many of you that can do much more than that, so I would encourage you to prayerfully consider doing something above that $500 mark. And so uh, $10 a week is two lattes, so you could skip Starbucks twice, and there's your 10 bucks a week. I'm talking to myself right now. So here's what I want you to do this week as you take this home. I want you to use 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 as a guide, uh, as a guide for you to determine where to, what level to land on. This is what it says. Listen very carefully this week. This is what Paul said to the church. You must each decide in your heart. That's where God is looking, right? You must each decide in your heart how much to give, what amount to give. And don't give reluctantly. You, know, you ever have, you ever have ki your kids obey you reluctantly? It's like okay, but it's not the best. They're really disobeying in their hearts. Anybody? Okay. God says don't do it reluctantly or at a response of pressure. You ever have your kids obey you because you threaten to take their life? <laughs> they say yes because of the pressure that you're putting on. God says, I don't want you to, I don't want you to, I don't want like 
to, I don't want you to drag your feet. Oh, here goes Danny, more money to the church, blah, 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 you know, I better do it. I don't want you to, God says don't do it that way. In fact, he'd say if that's where you're at, if, that, if you feel that way, don't give at all. I would encourage you to do that. Unless your check is $20,000 or more, then, <laughs> then give the check and then work on your heart later, okay? In fact, in fact, we could go to coffee and I'll work on your heart with you. <laughs> I'm just kidding, a little. Um, he says, don't do it reluctantly or out of responsive pressure. Why? Because God loves a person who gives cheerfully, uh, with excitement, with joy. In other words, God loves it when someone says, man, another opportunity to give of the finances that he's given me in order to further God's kingdom. I'm so excited to pick a level with my spouse or with my small group or whoever. God loves a cheerful giver. So let me give you some cool stuff real quick and we'll wrap this thing up. Cool information. So far, so far, uh, there have been two large gifts that have been given to the church. Uh, one for $500,000, one for $600,000. So that's 1.1. So I know, isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. That's, that's in addition to the 400000 that we raised last year. Anybody remember that? We raised $400,000 to try to get the property. So uh, if you're doing the math, it's about $1.5. We still need to raise an additional $2 million, again, to make sure that our debt load doesn't exceed a certain limit. And so that's what, that's what this card is all about for the next 12 months. That's where you and I can jump in for as little as $10 a week. You all in? What do you think? That makes sense? Okay, now, as I wrap up, I just want to wrap up with one simple question because you've heard a lot of information today. Some of you came into this place ready to make a decision. Here's my question. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty today? A year ago, Jessica walked in the Banta campus and her soul was thirsty. And if you heard what she said, she said, I found temporary happiness in shopping, so I incurred a lot of debt. I was trying to satisfy my life in many different ways. It wasn't working. And then she heard the gospel. She heard about Christ. She heard about the Spirit of God. And she put her confidence and trust in Jesus. Is that you today? Listen, Jesus Christ came to this earth to, to bring to you a quality of life that could only be described as an eternal life. It's a quality of life. Yes, it includes you going to heaven when you die, but it starts right now. And here's what he did. He died on a cross to remove all of the guilt and all of the shame that your sin caused. To remove the barrier between you and God. So now, because of the, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, there is no barrier, barrier. You can have access to God right now. You say, how do I do that? Well, you just put your confidence and your trust in Jesus. Jesus said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his belly, out of his soul, will flow rivers of living water. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. You can take my words and you can make them your own and you can put your trust in Christ today and receive eternal life. If you'd like to do that, bow your heads and close your eyes with me and just say this simple prayer. It's one that God loves to answer. Say this, dear Jesus, I'm thirsty. I come to you to drink, to drink you into my life, the living water. I trust you. I believe you died on the cross for me. Wash away all my sin, all my shame, all my guilt. 
I believe you rose again on the third day to conquer the penalty held against me, to reunite me to you and your Father and the Spirit. And right now I lean into that truth. I put my life in your hands. I trust you. Fill my life right now with your very spirit. Fill me with the joy and the love and the peace that comes from your life. From this day forward, help me to honor you and follow you and obey you and love you and seek to become like you in every way and invite others into the journey as well. It's in Christ's name I pray. Hey, when I made that decision, a retired missionary from Africa named Byron pulled me alongside. I was about 17 and a half years old or so, and he, he said, young man, you need to start reading the Bible. It's like, okay. And then he said, you need to start memorizing specific passages, and he gave me, a, he gave me an index card with a Bible verse on it, Philippians 4, verse 8, which I still have memorized today. And he said to me, if you want to grow in your faith, you need to take the word of God into your life every day. Yes, sir. No problem. I started reading the Bible. I'll never forget I had a little Gideon's Bible. Have you ever seen the little green little pocket Bibles? I'd read it on the train, the bus, the ferry. I grew up in New York City, so I was still there. and Just pull it out and read it. I would say the same thing to you today. If you just put your faith and confidence and trust in Jesus, take one of these Bibles. They're free. They're absolutely free. Go back there, grab them. I've got friends back here to my left and my right. Say, hey, I just prayed that prayer. Can I have one of those Bibles? And then just begin reading it because what you're going to find is the ways of the kingdom, the values of Jesus, what he likes, what he wants, what his wishes are, what his desires are for your life, and how to live out this thing called eternal life. And so I encourage you, if you pray to receive Christ, to grab one of those. If you've done that last year, don't take a free Bible. Go buy your own. (laughs) They're like four bucks in the bookstore. Anyway. Just got to slip that in there. Love you guys. Did you have fun today? Is this good stuff? Will you pray with me? Jesus, uh, friend of sinners, lover of people, excluder of none, thank you for accepting me in my sin and selfishness. You included me. Thank you for including all of these people here in this room, those watching through the podcast, the app, sitting in their car, their house. No human condition is outside of your touch. Thank you. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, we can come to you and drink. Fill our lives with your presence, with your love, with your peace, with your joy. Thank you for including us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, next week is week number three of Unsearchable. Bring your friends. I promise you um, it'll be awesome. God bless.